Welcome to the Pandemic Show. Stories of the pandemic for people living in the pandemic. No one is alone on the Pandemic Show. Thanks for joining us as we unite humanity through stories of hope, connection, and community in the face of the global pandemic. We are all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Thanks for taking a moment to like, subscribe, and follow the Pandemic Show on social media. Good day and welcome to the Pandemic Show. Today we have a very special guest. Who are you? I am Melissa Allen. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. And you are in Toronto. I am. I'm right in Toronto, in Little Jamaica. I am uh, on traditional neutral Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe land, and I'm just so thankful to be walking on the earth with all the different all the different neighbors in my neck of the woods, and I'm so excited to be talking to you here today on the pandemic show no one's alone on the pandemic show stories of the pandemic for the people of the pandemic now you were not in canada right when the pandemic started but could you tell us what was your life like before the pandemic started and then what happened when it struck in your life okay what was life like pre-pandemic i was in the middle of really working my tail off to make my financial planning business work. I was working around the clock easily about 16 to 20 hour days. I would come, uh, yeah, it was nuts. I would come home at, at say like one o'clock in the morning and then I would get up at like at four o'clock and get ready and and to to start my day and to go out and to work. I was literally on the path to get to extreme burnout. And I, you know, I was single, I, like, again, I was broke, rebuilding my business. And I was just at my wits end in literally every aspect of my life before the pandemic. March 2020, where were you? What was happening? March 10th, I had made the trek to Montreal. I was going to fly out of Montreal to go to Morocco, to go to Marrakesh uh, for a life coaching retreat for 10 days, a week, 10 days. And then I was supposed to meet up with a friend in Nice, France. It was supposed to be great. And this was supposed to be a time where I was going to be resetting my life. I was going to get the coaching I need to take my life and my business to the next level. Because I knew that before then, like, it wasn't working what I was doing. And so I planned to go into this retreat and come out of it, like, with a brand new life and a brand new person. And I definitely got much more than I bargained for because (laughs) less than a week into the retreat, we were like, all of a sudden I was getting massive amount of text messages from friends and family saying, you should come home. Justin Trudeau was calling for people to come home from overseas. And I, and I literally did not take it seriously. I, I don't know why. I'm like, no, there's no way they're going to. This is like, this is a global crisis. Like when in our lifetime or the past two generations or two or three generations, has there ever been a, like, a, like something of this scale? So I didn't really listen to it. And then we were at dinner around March 20. We were at dinner at a restaurant in the, I guess in the souk, in the markets in Marrakesh, the beautiful restaurant there. And all of a sudden I see on my phone, the news item that M- Morocco is shutting down all the airports in two days and sending in the army. Like, so nobody can fly in and out. And then, and also in that same article, it said that all the hotels um, and guest houses in, in Morocco were kicking out all the international people. And I was like, oh, guys, oh, everyone, uh, stuff's getting real right now. 
That is intense, <laughs> Melissa. I can only imagine. And then all of a sudden you're being told there's this global pandemic. Dun, dun, dun. And they're going to throw you out of your hotel. And then there's travel uncertainty. <laughs> Holy guacamole. Oh, yeah. So how did you respond to this adversity? So everybody started kind of semi-freaking out. Like the, the people who were freaking out the most and like fair enough of the people who had kids back home, they got on the first flight they could. I think one person paid like $5,000 for a flight home. I'm like, no, nah, I'll just stay. <laughs> I At our retreat, it was like an organic farm. We were staying in a, just outside Marrakech. They let us stay for one more day. Then we had to go. We had nowhere to go. So luckily our retreat host, She's part Moroccan. And so half of that, half of us went to stay with her extended family in Casablanca. And then the other half of us stayed with this elderly couple in Casablanca who were a friend of a friend who lived in Montreal. It was his parents. And so this elderly couple, Moroccan couple that nobody knew, they welcomed about, I would say, 10 of us into their home. She fed us amazing food and we all, we slept just played out all over her living room her and her husband's living room and she didn't they didn't speak a word of English but luckily a, a few of us spoke French so we were able to communicate with them and so we stayed clean it was like literally at like four o'clock in the morning again we snuck into this elderly person's house because nobody would like there was a curfew the army was coming and you could be arrested if you're caught on the streets so we literally like snuck into the this elderly couple's house in the middle of the night basically we stayed there I think one day or one overnight and then in the morning, we went to the airport and basically stayed at the airport, which was complete chaos at like fighting for flight, fighting for, to get on the last flight out of the out of the country. And luckily, like most of us had made it onto one of the last flights out of the country going to the UK, London. And we stayed overnight in uh, Heathrow Airport at the Hilton there and then flew home on the next flight we could. The timing was just right because like as soon as we flew into London, the next day there was a lockdown. So the morning we caught the last flight out of Canada before London's lockdown. Yeah, we managed to catch a flight out. Or you would have yeah. been trapped then in the UK. Exactly. Yeah. In the airport. Yep. Wow, that's such an inspiring <laughs> story of humanity <laughs> uniting. With, yep. with just random people connected to your retreat, oh, yeah. helping in, mm -hmm. in this dire situation where you were thrown out of the hotels and whatnot. And then the, the people of the community we're there to support you exactly. and the other family. Wow. Thank you very much to the people of Morocco. I think about them all the time. I'm so grateful. It's a testament to the integrity of that culture and the people. Oh there. yeah. Oh my gosh. And it's funny. Like I went there and it was, it was amazing culture right away. I always felt safe on the streets. Everybody was warm. I never ate better. And so, yeah, like this, this act of kindness of letting us in to their home and feeding us amazing food it just was proof of all of that so you get to the airport there's no physical distancing there's no mm -hmm. mask. Mm -hmm. it was a their... mob it was a mob of people trying to it... get on that like it was chaos trying to get on the next flight home so now we're 14 months into this ordeal <laughs> how do you think people are holding up how do you think how do you think people are holding up 14 months in? i know when the pandemic started People were out banging on pots and pans just supporting the frontline workers. And I think people, there was so much uncertainty, lack of PPE. People really stayed home for that first, that first wave or that first lockdown. Things kind of opened up, lockdown. People were great at the beginning, then they were good. The more it opens and closes, it seems the more crazy some people are going. Mm -hmm. 
I also wonder too how strict these lockdowns are because it seems like so many industries are still operating. But I guess shutting down the schools and and the hospitality industry does seem to have brought numbers down in Ontario to under around a thousand a day from over four thousand. I think so. Then, I, but I think recently we had a recent spike. But don't quote me on that. I just saw that in the news. But I mean, fourteen months in, I really do think here in Ontario, at least here in Toronto. Uh, I think I really do think there's pandemic fatigue. I know, like, so I think there's pandemic fatigue, especially because we had that little sliver of hope in like August, September of like half of October of last year that was taken away with the second lockdown, and then we went second lockdown straight into third lockdown. Now the extension now is going to be extended again. I think it's it's pure fatigue, and what what makes it even more challenging are, are seeing our friends around the world open up like our friends to the south are opening up i was just watching instagram stories and like everywhere i like watch instagram stories like everywhere i look and it's my american friends that i follow like they're going to restaurants no masks at the restaurant like i i saw another friend go to a concert with everybody crammed shoulder to shoulder and meanwhile here we're still on time out it's super difficult it's interesting how the united states with a vaccine program was able to do a mass vaccination program of double doses in the hundreds of millions and here in canada where for whatever reason the vaccination capabilities at one time existed are no longer here we see how it's put us in a disadvantage Mm -hmm. for gearing back up i've had my first jab my first dose so is my whole bubble have you been able to get vaccinated yet (laughs) Not yet, not yet. I'm going for my appointment next week. And I then I hope to be part of the crowd when we reopen that goes to restaurants and that travels. So I'm really excited about that. I'm looking forward to my second shot. Oh, and gosh, my family's bubble <laughs> second shot because now I guess we've got a lot of variants from around the world making it to Toronto, making it to Ontario, making it everywhere. Like people are mobile. Movement is important. It seems that the variants are really putting us in a corner right now. And once we all get our second dose, we'll have a lot more resiliency to the variants. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. And, you know, it's, I, and this is just my personal opinion is that I think it's psychological, just like almost as much as it is mental, which is having the, the second dose. It's, it's a huge signal that we, we've done what we need to do to be able to reopen up again. What was the adjustment to working remotely for you? I know many of us who are fortunate to be able to work during the pandemic, we've had to pivot to working remotely. How do you think people have adjusted to working remotely? I think honestly, I think it's really shown like the class divide. So those who can work remotely, I think they've adjusted okay. But those with kids, I do feel for, because there seems to be this blurred line between like like domestic duties and responsibilities and work responsibilities it's, it seems like they flow into each other with no beginning and no end and so I have a lot of friends who seem to have some fatigue and I think and I, I heard another I heard a couple on your podcast that left Toronto to go to a small town in Nova Scotia and uh, a couple of my no more than one of my friends several of my friends who were who were lucky to be able to in order to at least just have some breathing air. They gave up their condos, they sold their places, and they moved out of the city in order to, you know what, if life is going to be chaotic, let's move to the outer suburbs or to the country. We'll put the kids outdoors and, 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 you know, and call it a day. But otherwise, it's funny, we get a lot of talk about how there's a lot of burnout with parents now. But overall, I think that many of us who do work remotely or who are able to, it's going to be really hard for a lot of us to be able to go back into the office once we've had 
like like there's so many of us including myself that have saved like at least three hours of commuting and driving time like my my former profession as a financial advisor I was going from like house to house to house to office to office to office like on the road all the time all of a sudden I've had so much time freed up by doing everything through like Zoom and Microsoft Teams. And I know a lot of other people feel the same way. So I do think it's going to be hard for a lot of people to go back in the office. And I do think part-time remote work is going to become the norm. My heart goes out to parents, especially mothers, Mm -hmm. working mothers with the kids at home. One of the trends I saw in the media was that because the home with everyone there is so busy, you can't get high quality work done. One of the adaptations workers have done is to get hotel rooms during the day. So they can go and work uninterrupted and get a like a high yield, lots of work done in a short period of time, and then they can go back. So it's interesting to see how industrious people are to respond to this work at home challenge where they're working from home, but they're, they're finding some kind of temporary office space. When you say, what will happen when we have to go back? Will the, the talent that decides where they work, will they conform to that? We talked to David Hayes in the Bay Area. He's in a technology company. And he thinks some people, they're, they, they're going to use this as an opportunity to telecommute for the rest of their lives. But there's going to so. be some people who might be more like me, where we're beholden to whatever our boss says. And there's going to be a battle to get people back in. And mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see what the long-term implications are, because it's my understanding that some companies are going to try to get their employees back to work and other companies are taking a, you can telecommute approach. So it'll be interesting to see what the workforce looks like. The pandemic, it's really, it's forced me to adopt technologies that I probably could have adopted in the dot-com bubble of the early 2000s. I was a late mover to technology, but now I'm shopping online do you think the pandemic's moved a lot of people onto technology that were that wouldn't have otherwise have adapted this way and and taken mm-hmm. up technology? Same. I think I saw a stat that said we during the pandemic, um, but during the pandemic we advanced technologically our, our adoption and our growth rates for, say, for example, e-commerce by ten years in just wow. the the first few months of the pandemic. So at, we we all have. There was a point where I was like Microsoft Teams. Ew. No, and now I use it like all the time, same as Zoom. (laughs) Another trend I see is audio on cell phones. It looks like the major cell phone companies are improving their audio. There could be changes in software that allow people to maybe perform music easier together remotely. Oh, absolutely. Like audio audio and voice technology had its moment a a couple of years ago, kind of died down and now it's back again because of the pandemic. And listen, Any way that we can communicate virtually, that's where the puck is going. (laughs) So definitely I can see voice uh, voice becoming, like I would say, like not just a trend, but advancing voice technology is here to stay. Have you learned any new skills during the pandemic? I know I have learned some more technology skills. (laughs) What I've learned in in the pandemic is not just like virtual webinar hosting skills, but how to actually build a venture capital firm as well as lead it. So I think that's like a, a massive skill I, I learned <laughs> in the pandemic. And congratulations. Thank I've been re- you. I've been following you in the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, all over uh, <laughs> with your fund. And it looks like the fund is really making a difference for entrepreneurs, especially yep. women and people of color. Yeah, we're super excited about it. So the funds, um, it's the Bay Mills Diversity Fund. The company is the Bay Mills Investment Group. We want to raise a total of over the next couple of years, $100 million. 
And we're going to invest in BIPOC founders, so Black, Indigenous, people of color. Super excited about it. We are just about to close out our first round of $25 million, And at the same time, we've been meeting with some incredible startups that we're in the process of, like, you know, looking into, doing our due diligence, and that we're excited to have as part of our first cohort of portfolio companies. It's exciting to read about your company, knowing that we do have problems with structural inequality, structural racism. Black Lives Matters have been a huge part of the pandemic. The I Don't Know More movement continues here in Canada. And to see ahead uh, a fund coming out to support people who are disadvantaged. I know there's been a lot of research that indicates entrepreneurs BIPOC entrepreneurs are less likely to get funding in the mm-hmm. traditional historical model. So to see that there's a fund like yours out there filling this gap of creativity, like this is the kind of stuff that's going to unite humanity. So thank you and your Aww, fund for doing it. The, the pandemic show, we're working to build bridges of inclusivity and smash white supremacy. Do you think we're making progress as a society on this important matter and issue? Absolutely. I do think we are. I think George Floyd, with the, with the time that we sat at home, looking at our social media, we actually had time to talk to each other and to self-reflect. And so when everything happened with Maude Arbery and George Floyd, it really forced a collective, like forcing your eyes open on the situation. I had calls from some dear friends who are white and non-black and just just to, just to talk to me and ask me how I was and how I was feeling and I really appreciate it because in that week in say in June with George Floyd getting murdered I was having starting to have panic attacks but at the same time it felt great to know that our voices were finally being heard and it just created this like wave of consciousness that finally started to happen I feel like people of color and black people indigenous people we've had to spend so much time and energy just to try to quote-unquote convince white people that that you know we are being discriminated against in this area, that the system is systemically set up for us to not succeed. And finally, now we can go to the next level because we do not have to try to convince people anymore. They get it. And if you don't understand the fact that we are being systematically oppressed, like in every facet of life in society, then it's clear that that you have some bias and some and some issues yourself. It's like if people don't accept climate change. We were, yeah, lucky, exactly. we were lucky to talk to Staz, the boss in Brooklyn, and she said she's just tired of the racism. We talked with Janice Jolie, who helped me deal with the, the, the what's going on with Baden. There's Baden is a township, a little town in Waterloo region where some Yahoo was putting up white lives matter, uh, uh, white supremacy (laughs) propaganda, but something really positive happened that white members of the community organized rallies and in concert with first nations people and stories from people of all different backgrounds in the community who've been victims of racism came out and it got a really uncomfortable, but necessary conversation going. Now, when you're in the Baden area, You'll see signs on lawns, purple signs that show support for different ethnic groups, Black Lives Matter, Indigenous Lives Matter, People of Colors Lives Matters. It seems that it was a very small group of bad apples putting up these hate posters, Mm -hmm. but something positive came from it that the community now, the wider community is having this conversation and it's white people realizing that they have to, white people have to be active in this conversation to deprogram some of these white supremacist attitudes. Absolutely. Some people will say that, you know, 
older generations still have older ideas. But when we look at the children, there's a lot of positivity there of based on equality, justice for all. It's exciting to hear, as sad as a lot of the conf- conflict has been around identity politics in North America and the world the, during the pandemic, it was inspirational for me to hear a reporter reporting from Philadelphia when the 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 last president was cracking down on people sending in <laughs> yeah. federal troops and civil rights an, an older civil rights gentleman a black gentleman he said what had made this protest wave of social rights protests different is that it was people of, of every community standing together exactly. it wasn't just the oppressed with a small group of allies of other oppressed groups but it was it was every part of the community standing up for them and even though there's still a long way to go to see that there's more solidarity in allies and people working for a more just and equitable future. That's really inspiring. It's hugely inspiring. It, it, it's been, it's been incredible. Like, and I, if I am, I'm quite optimistic about the, about the future. We've taken a giant step, I guess that we've been fighting for since, civil rights and but now people collectively finally understand and and it's great because now we can all move forward together i'm excited what changes do you think will be permanent after the pandemic i think we're going to see more kind of a regional focus and maybe more regional touring in the arts just because we're opening up in ontario in the fall that the whole world's going to be opening up because we know that we do have a vaccine inequity problem where The West Mm -hmm. is getting all the vaccines. But just today in the headlines, I heard that the president of France, that France is donating uh, vaccines to try to uh, vaccinate 40 percent of the continent of Africa. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. that was that's an exciting development. And it's interesting as we move into this vaccine diplomacy stage of the pandemic, (laughs) the Chinese are giving their vaccines to people. The Russians are giving their vaccines to people. The Americans are giving vaccines to Mexico and Canada, their allies. It's. Mm -hmm. The pandemic twists, the pandemic turns. <laughs> Every know. day is a new adventure. So true. So true. It's like uncharted territory. Or it is, but maybe when you, because like we've had pandemics and things like that before, but when you combine it with the era we live in, with technology, with greater racial justice, it's, yeah, it, it, every day is different. The COVID pandemic has really shone a spotlight on the loneliness pandemic, mm-hmm. the social justice inequality pandemic, the racism really? pandemic, the income inequality pandemic, the disposable fashion pandemic, mm-hmm. the food-like yep. substances pandemic, migrant workers pandemic, senior citizens living conditions pandemic. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we're going to come through this and we're going to find people running for politics who are going to be working with principles of unity. Because sadly, in the States and Canada, it seems we just have this, you're right, I'm wrong. No, you're wrong, I'm right. It's just politics of division. And that's not going to rebuild humanity. Correct. Yeah, I think we've reached a point, like 14 months later, where we can't unsee everything we've seen. Like we've lifted up the rug and looked at all the, you know, the dirt and the muck and the dust underneath. We can't just put it down again. We have to clean it up. And I think, and I'm positive the fact that all of those areas that you said, all these issues, I think that we will make the, what, what will be permanent after the pandemic is a greater awareness and a greater working towards resolving these issues. What I do think, though, that what is key is that we need to start doing that right away to keep the momentum going. 
and not just get lulled back into how things were before going back to normal. Because quite frankly, if normal wasn't that great, and if normal was great for you before the pandemic, then you should do some self-analysis on how you've contributed to a lot of the injustices in the world and inequities in the world. Boom. (laughs) And that makes me think of just this week. It was legendary folk Canadian rocker Bruce Coburn's birthday. Around the same time of his birthday, a hundred seniors on Victoria Island marched on a police barricade to go in to save the old growth trees in in the Fairy Creek old growth area. It seems that we have people standing up for racial justice in Baden. It seems that the Mm -hmm. people are taking it to the streets, physically distanced with masks, pushing back against some of the environmental degradation that's occurring. But you're right. This momentum needs to build. It was building and building before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Kind of the, 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 the flame went out temporarily as people adjusted, yep. but hopefully people will continue to lead and the government will follow. For sure. And so those of you who do want to act on change, now's the time. Like the, the way I jumped on this opportunity to start this fund, it was, it's a huge risk and it's a lot of hard work. But I want to help create a legacy that it that that we can show for what we've all been through in the pandemic, like something that we can look to and say, look at all this positive that came out of the pandemic and came out of all this police violence. So everybody, like, take this opportunity now to really go for what you believe in. Melissa, I cannot thank you enough for joining us here today on the Pandemic Show as we work to unite humanity through stories of hope, connection, and community. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Stories of the pandemic for the people of the pandemic. No one's alone on the Pandemic Show. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Pandemic Show. We're all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Physically distance with us at pandemishow.com. Be a part of our community by subscribing to and sharing the Pandemic Show. Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, or promote us on social media. Pandemic Show is on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. Stories from the Pandemic for the people of the Pandemic. Do you have an interesting Pandemic story and want to share? Email us at pandemishow at gmail.com. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to Giant Value for singing us in and letting us know everything is going to be all right. No one is alone at the Pandemic Show.